So let's go before the Lord in prayer and thank him for the opportunity to open his word. So Lord, we just thank you for the privilege, God, of gathering together to hear your word. Lord, it is your word that we submit to. And God, we acknowledge that your word says that it's not by might, not by power, but by your spirit. That's how you change us. That's what you do when you use your word. It's, your Holy, it's the Holy Spirit's work to transform us. And God, I pray that you would help me to open my mouth, to preach the word, and to exalt Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So we looked at Jonah, the prophet who wouldn't speak week one last week, and we talked a lot about his disobedience and his running from God. And, and so this week I've titled the message, uh, Repentance and Second Chances. Repentance and Second Chances. And how many of you know we all need second chances? You need a few second chances in your life? You need a hundred second chances? It switches from second to third to fourth, but there's so many you need, you just call them all second chances. And God's gracious and merciful to give us second chances, and everybody needs them, even Michael Jordan. You know, Michael Jordan was considered, is considered, it's, it's debated, I don't think there's much of a debate, really, from my opinion, that he's the greatest basketball player that ever lived. And so some of you may think, well, maybe it's LeBron James or whoever else, but Michael Jordan was considered, is considered one of the greatest of all time, and, and he was so clutch. I mean, I, I, I remember watching a little bit when I was younger, uh, live, but then mostly as I've gotten older, I've watched a lot of videos, and he's just amazing, he was amazing to watch. And, and, but, what, but you know what's interesting about Michael Jordan is that Michael Jordan needed second chances too. As amazing as he was at basketball, listen to what Michael Jordan said. He said this, this is his quote, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I've failed over and over and over again in my life. And there's true. From the greatest athlete across the board to all of us in between, we miss shots, we make mistakes, and in, and in something far greater than basketball, which is our, our life, our spiritual life, and something far greater, we miss the mark. We act like Jonah did. We run from God's call, and that's what we looked at last week, that Jonah ran from the call of God. God called him and said, Jonah, go to Nineveh. Go to that evil city, that great big city that, that is full of evil and sin and murder, and go and preach to that people. And Jonah didn't want to go. He did not want to obey. And he ran from the call. And so last week we looked over and over again about how, how it is in our life when we run from God's call, how does it affect us? And we talked about how when we run from God's call, it impacts our life. There are consequences. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. And that's a biblical truth. And Jonah experienced that. He ran from God and he suffered consequences. But not only do those consequences affect us, but they affect people around us. Even if they're not close to us. In Jonah's story, the men on the boat, they didn't even know Jonah. When the storm came in and was rocking the boat, threatening to destroy the boat, they said, who are you? Where are your people? Who are your people? Where do you come from? So, so Jonah's decision to run from God not only affected his life, but it was affecting people he didn't even know. And that's a reality that we looked at last week, that running from God's call will cost us, but it will also cost those that are near us, close to us. 
And then we ended last week talking about this powerful truth that God in his great love will go to extreme measures to wake us up, to get our attention. Why? Because he loves us. Because he has plans for our life that are good and he wants us to fulfill those purposes and those plans. And so, so I just want to encourage you, if you've been running from God, God has a call on your life. He's called you to salvation. He's called you to submit to his word. And he's called you for a specific purpose in this life, to glorify Jesus. And so today, you, you can quit running today. In this message, we're going to look at the reality that God gives Jonah a second chance. He gives him another opportunity. And that's what God does because he's, grace, he's gracious and he's merciful and he's kind and he gives us second chances. And so we're going to look at chapter 2, all of chapter 2, and we're going to look at every verse except one in chapter 3 here in, here in this message. So repentance and second chances. And so what we're going to look at here today is I have to have four thoughts that are kind of broken up in, 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 this, in these sections, in these two chapters. And so the, the, the first way that we're going to talk about second chances is this, is that second chances start at the bottom. Second chances start at the bottom. Let's look at the text. Let's pick back up this story. So Jonah had been cast into the, into the sea and, 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 and the storm stopped, and then the last thing we read last week was that the great fish swallowed him, and he was in the belly of the fish. And so now we're picking up here the story. And then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. And he answered me out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. And you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. And the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. Oh Lord, my God. You see a pattern here? Second chances start at the bottom. You see Jonah's language here? He's in the belly of, of the great fish. And this is what he's saying over and over, over and over again. I was at the bottom. I was in the belly of Sheol. The darkness covered me. It came over my head. Weeds wrapped around my head. I was in the pit. You brought my life up from the pit. And you know what? Second chances start from that position. When we've blown it. And Jonah may not have realized it in that moment, but that was the best place for him to be. Because it's in that moment that he had nowhere else to look but up, right? Second chances start at the bottom. Have you been there in your life? Like Jonah, have you been at the bottom? The bottom of the barrel? You've blown it, you've made terrible mistakes, and you just, you're flat on your back. Maybe you lay down at night in your bed and you're restless and you can't sleep and you think, can it get any worse than it is right now the best place for you to be is at the bottom because second chances that is where they start and you know the key moment in Jonah's life when we're talking about second chances is what he says in verse 7 this is so powerful what he says in verse 7 and this is what we need to say this is what needs to be true of our life when we find ourselves suffering the consequences of our choices these are the consequences of his choices he's at the bottom he made the mistakes. He ran from God. But he did something that is so key, and it's what we all have to do. 
Let's look at what verse 7 says. When my life was fainting away, what did he do? I remembered the Lord. I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. That right there is the beginning of restoration. That right there, when you're at the bottom, you have nowhere else to go but up. That's where restoration begins. You remember the Lord. You look up. You look, you, you look, you cast your eyes up. You quit looking down at your circumstances and how you can't change them and you don't know how to get out of it, out of the consequences that you're facing. You remember the Lord. Jonah remembered the Lord. Isn't this what we do when we run from God? We forget Him. When we run from God, that's what we do. We, we, we tend, we, we like to have selective amnesia, right? When we run from God, we want to try to push him out and push him away and put him out of our thinking. And this is what Jonah was trying to do, trying to run as far away. What did it say in the first chapter about Jonah? He was trying to flee from the presence of God. Does that work? Did that work well for Jonah? Does it work well for us when we try to run from God's presence? How many of you know God is everywhere all the time? He's there in our obedience. He's there in our disobedience. He's there when we're on the mountaintop. He's there when we're in the valley. He's everywhere. And when we think we can run from him, he is still right there. If we make our bed in hell, he is still there. And Jonah thought he could run, but he did the greatest thing that he could ever do, and that was to stop, to remember the Lord, to look up. You know, here's what I think the enemy does He tries to keep us from that moment, from that key pivotal pivotal moment. When we need that second chance, when, when, when we are experiencing the consequences of our sin and our choices to rebel against God, this is what the enemy tries to do. He tries to keep us from remembering the Lord. He tries to keep us from connecting to the places and the people that will remind us of who God is. And this is what he does. Maybe you've said something like this. I've done too much. To be forgiven. Have you ever thought that? Just too much. There's no way. I've done too much and I've done it for too long. I've done too much and I've done it for too long. There's no way that God can forgive me. Maybe we say this. There's no way that things can change. I've done so much for so long. Rebelled against God for so long. I've caused so much trouble. There's no way that God can make anything good out of what has happened in my life and through my life. It's a lie from the enemy. Maybe you said this, I've hurt too many people. I've hurt too many people. I was listening to this video, watching this video and listening to it, of this guy who was, who was a murderer, and he was being interrogated, and he killed a few people. And the detective comes into the room to talk to him, And he asked him, he says, I'm going to get a glass of cold water. Would you like a glass of cold water? And the young man said, I I do, but I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. And some of us here today would say, you're right. He doesn't deserve it. He did too much. And my heart was checked when I watched that video. Because it really is true. No, he doesn't deserve anything good in his life. Just like we don't deserve anything good. But that's what the gospel is all about. We get what we don't deserve. And I thought, how many people watched that video and thought, don't give that cold-blooded killer cold water. 
Anyway, touch my heart. Check my motives. We don't deserve anything from, from, the, from the least to the greatest, from, from the, the worst sinner across the board. None of us deserve it, but God freely gives it, and the enemy lies to us and tells us that we've done too much to be forgiven. And maybe we say, say it like this. Maybe this is the lie. Maybe we say, this is just who I am. This is what my life's going to be like. Well, we need to be reminded of what God's word says, that he is a, a redeemer and he is a restorer and second chances begin at the bottom when you've royally blown it. It's the moment that God says, I'm still here. I can, I can redeem and I can restore. Look at Romans 5, 6 and 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for who? Who did he die for? He didn't die for good people. Christ didn't come to die for good people. He came to die for me and for you as sinners. He didn't come to die for people who didn't need him to die for them. He came to die for the ungodly. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For the kid who didn't deserve the glass of water. He died for him. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. But God shows, shows his love. He demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that so good? What is he saying? What's, what's Paul saying there in Romans? That God most perfectly demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still in rebellion against him, he died for us. The people that were crucifying him on the cross, the people that were spitting on him and calling him names, he died for them. While they were sinning against him and God, he died for them. Second chances start at the bottom because that is, that, that is the best place to be for a second chance. The bottom of the barrel is the best place to begin your journey back. So I have good news for you here today. That if you're at the bottom and you think there's no way out, today I'm here to tell you, you're in a, you're in a great place. You're in a great place today. Because if you will simply remember the Lord, remember his goodness, his kindness, his mercy, his, his desire to forgive, you remember the Lord, you look up. You look up. You turn your gaze up to the Lord. And secondly, here's what needs to happen. Second chances are realized through repentance. So, so you start at the bottom Second chances begin, their birth at the bottom, they begin, they start at the bottom, but second chances are realized through repentance, through repentance. Let's look back at the story in Jonah chapter 2. Here's Jonah's repentance, verses 8 through 10. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. So it's an interesting language that Jonah uses here. We wouldn't really necessarily, if you look at it straightforward, you wouldn't say, well, that's not really repentance. He didn't really say, God, I'm sorry for running for you and disobeying you. I'm sorry for doing that. And that's what we would kind of look for. But you have to think about it. What is he saying here? Let's look at the words here. He says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. What he's saying there is that is what he had done. He was running after worthless, vain things. He was running after vain idols. 
But he said, but I will, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you and I will vow to you. And then he declares this, salvation belongs to the Lord. So that's kind of the two elements of what repentance is. Repentance is recognizing that you have been chasing after worthless things. And then also declaring that you are saying the only way for hope is through, is through the Lord. That salvation and forgiveness and redemption comes from the Lord. Second chances are realized through repentance. He, he acknowledges, he recognizes he was following worthless things. And he recognizes that salvation comes from God. Repentance must precede second chances. We must be willing to turn from our sin. We, we, we must recognize that we've blown it and that we've sinned. You know, many people want second chances, but they're not willing to acknowledge their sin. They're not willing to admit it. Have you met somebody like that? And, and, and like, like, it's the elephant in the room. You, they, their life has gone in certain directions and you see the choices that they've made and you think, I wish they could see. Why don't they see and why won't they acknowledge? If they would simply remember the Lord, acknowledge, repent, turn, humble themselves. But so many people don't want to acknowledge their sin. They don't want to declare to the Lord that they've broken his law, that they've rebelled against him, but that is where second chances are realized when we repent. They don't want to own up to their failures. They don't want to turn away from their sin. Humility is the key to repentance. Humility is the key. Look what Jonah said there. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. Thanksgiving is a form of humility. I love singing that song, Thank You. That was a new song that we learned here this morning. And when we say thank you, it is so humbling to, hum, to, to come before the Lord and just to say thank you, to remember what he's done and to thank him. That's a form of humility. And this is what Jonah is demonstrating here in this verse. He's coming with thanksgiving. He's paying his vows. He's declaring that his only hope is from the Lord. That is what repentance is. Humility is the key to repentance. But pride is a repentance killer. Pride is a repentance killer. It'll stop repentance dead in its tracks. That's what pride does. You guys remember the the parable that Jesus told? About the tax collector and the Pharisee going to the temple to pray? You have the contrasting of the Pharisee full of pride coming to prayer. And you got... The, the tax collector who was considered the worst of the worst sinner during Jesus' day, like the boy in the video that I watched, he would be considered one of the lowest of our sin that we would consider today. It'd be like him and the, the Pharisee coming to church to pray. Listen to the parable. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. The two went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed like this, God, I thank you, I am not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this guy, the tax collector. I fast twice a day, I give tithes of all that I get. So what's he saying here? He's saying, God, you're, you have to accept me because of all these great things that I've done. I'm, because I'm not like all these bad people, and because I'm really good and I do a lot of good things, that is the basis of my relationship with you. But the, the tax collector, this notorious sinner, this notorious sinner, he had no foundation of relationship with the Lord, so how does he come? But the tax collector, standing afar off, 
would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Acknowledgement, humility. Repentance begins when we acknowledge we have missed the mark. Be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Look at the difference. Look, it's so amazing. The tax collector, he's coming. He won't even, he won't even go into the heart of the temple. He's standing afar off, away from the heart of the temple, and he's standing afar off. He won't even lift up his eyes. But the eyes of his heart are looking up, and he's beating his chest, which in, a, in Jewish times was, was, was a sign of repentance. He's beating his chest, and he's saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The, the, the Pharisee, he's coming in. He's got his head up. He's got his chest poked out. He's got his beautiful pharisaical garments, and he's coming in, and he's saying, here I am. I deserve to be here because I'm not like that guy. And because I do all these good things. Second chances are realized through repentance. Second chances are realized whenever you come like the sinner in Luke 18. That's where it starts. We come like the sinner. We come like him, humble. He humble before the Lord. We say, Lord, I don't deserve it. I can't earn it. I have no other hope but you. You are my only hope for, for a second chance. And, and if, it's, if it's salvation, you've never been born again, or it's as a believer, you've just blown it. Whatever situation you find yourself in, humility is the key. Humility is the key to come, own up, confess. Isaiah 55 gives us the pathway of repentance. Let's read Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. The pathway of repentance is this from Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord. Call upon him. Forsake your sin. Return to the Lord. And what will he do? He will abundantly pardon. Second chances start at the bottom. And second chances are realized through humble repentance. Thirdly, second chances release the power of obedience. Second chances release the power of obedience. So here's Jonah. He's humbled himself in the belly of the fish. He had, look, he doesn't know. Maybe the fish is going to swallow. I don't know. He didn't know what's going to happen. He didn't, he didn't think he's going to get out. But so he has nowhere else to go but up. He remembers the Lord. He turns his heart to the Lord. He humbles himself. God causes the fish to spew him out onto dry land. And then now, here comes his second chance to, to, to do what God called him to do. Second chances release the power of obedience. Let's look at Jonah 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Second chance, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Isn't that good? He obeyed. He did it. What happened last time? Go to Nineveh. He was fleeing 2,500 miles, trying to go 2,500 miles away from where God called him. But this time, he listened. He obeyed. He went to Nineveh. Verse 4, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out yet 40 days. This is the only thing, eight, eight words, yet 40 days. This is what he said, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. 
Look at this verse right here. And the people of Nineveh believed God. I wish, I wish there were some details somewhere in there to connect the dots. I'm thinking, what? They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. God speaks to Jonah and says, go to Nineveh. If Jonah would have known, it would have been this easy. But you know what the problem with Jonah is? That he didn't want them to repent. He didn't want them to turn. And we'll see later on in this story, Jonah, Jonah still has some heart problems. He didn't figure it all out yet. But wow, look at the power of obedience. Revival in the city. It's said that there are over 600,000 people in Nineveh. Look what it says there. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast from the greatest of them to the least of them. God gave Jonah a second chance to obey. And and we talked about last week how our disobedience impacts people in a negative way. It impacts you and others. And here's the truth of this third point here, this third section. Is that the power of our, our obedience is far greater than our disobedience. Practically in the story. He was affected. The sailors were affected. But because of his obedience, a whole city turned to God. Isn't that good news? You should be, I'm I'm waiting for y'all to jump up, shout, turn around, do some cartwheels or some flips. Our obedience far outweighs the effect. The, The effect of our obedience far outweighs the effects of our disobedience. That's the gospel, brothers and sisters. That's the power of redemption. That's the power of second chances. Exodus 20, it's a famous section of scripture. We, 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 we base some, I think, some erroneous doctrines and beliefs from Exodus 20. I'm going to read it to you. Listen to this. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. So this is where a lot of us will base our doctrine of generational curses on right here, this section in Exodus 34. But I want to explain something to you. You got to pay attention to the language here. It says that the sins of the parents will be laid on or affect the children to the third and fourth generations. It does not mean that the children are going to uh, necessarily follow the same pattern of sins, that they're under a curse, that they will follow those patterns. It means that the effect of those sins will last, even some of the sins as great as they are, to a third or a fourth generation. And don't we see that in our life today? The effect of sin that is passed on in family with kids, with grandkids, with great grandkids. There's some families you look at them and, and you think, look at the, uh, the impact of sin in that family's life. But here's what it's saying. It's saying that we all have a choice either to rebel against God or here's the promise right here, the next verse. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commandments. So here's the good news. 
The power of our obedience far outlives the power of our disobedience. And so if you come from a family that has a long line of alcoholics, you come from a family that has a long line of divorce, you come from a family that has a long line of drug addiction, you come from a family that's been impacted by that sin for three or four generations, what's the answer? Love God. Obey Him. And your love and your obedience will last for a thousand generations. Amen? This is a picture that the, 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 the picture here is that obedience and, and the good it brings far outlives what disobedient consequences bring. And to me, that's such good news. You know, I, 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 I've struggled with that area in my life with believing that, that just, just because there's things that have happened in my life or my family's life that I can never live out from under that. But God gives us the responsibility to choose and make decisions to follow the Lord or to not follow the Lord. And, and when we make a decision to obey him and to love him, in an instant, we can be redeemed. We can be restored. All the effects of the past can be changed in a moment's time. And that is the beauty of the gospel. That is the power of the gospel. Listen to Joel chapter 2. The nation of Israel is encouraged by the prophet Joel to repent. It says, yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him. And listen, listen to what happens when we repent. But be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and latter rain as before. The threshing floor shall be full of grain. The vats shall overflow with wine and oil. I will restore to you the years. That the swarming locusts have eaten. The hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter. Amen? I will restore the years when you turn, when you repent, when you pursue him. God will restore. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. You shall eat in plenty and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. Amen? Second chances begin at the bottom. They start at the bottom and second chances are realized through repentance. And second chances demonstrate the power of obedience. When we obey and we, we do what God's called us to do, it releases the power of obedience to change our life and to change the lives of those that are, are around us. God has the power to restore what the enemy has stolen from us. Satan lies to us and attempts to convince us that God's ways are not good. And when we believe those lies, we experience great pain. But when we return, when we repent, when we remember the Lord, he has the power to redeem and restore. He has the power to turn around what looks hopeless. Lastly, as we look at this last section... Let's look at Jonah 3, verses 6 through 9. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe. So now it says, now it says that from the least to the greatest, they all returned. They, they, they all repented. They put on sackcloth and ashes. 
And now here's a little further detail. The word reached the king. He arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, sat in ashes, and he issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. The fourth thing we see here is that second chances are ultimately not about us. Second chances are ultimately not about me. When God gives me a second chance, it's not about me. And this is, this is a truth that I think we need to think about here today as we conclude this message. That when God gave Jonah a second chance, was it about Jonah? It was about Nineveh. It was about those people that he didn't want to see repent. It was about those evil people, just like that boy. And that glass of cold water is about those type of people that we think don't deserve repentance and forgiveness and goodness. It was about them. It wasn't about Jonah. And the second chance when he repent, when he, when Jonah repented and he finally went and obeyed God, it still was not about him. And here's what happens in our life if we're not careful. We can believe that God wants us to obey so that we can have a really good life. And that's the point. And, and look, when we obey the Lord, there are great things that come. As we read in Joel chapter 2, abundance and blessings and all those things come. But God wants us to obey because he has a greater strategy. He's got an overarching plan. He's got a city called Nineveh that we're called to go to. He's got a people that he's called us to go to to preach repentance. Our second chance to obey him is so that the glory of God and the power of the gospel can shine so brightly through us. How beautiful is it whenever somebody was at the bottom? I love this brother that got baptized at the bottom. No hope. I don't even know if there is a God. I I cried like a baby after he got baptized. I just, I just, just thinking about the power of the gospel and it testifies to so his second chance. He came and he declared, what's his name? Michael. Michael came and declared to all of his church family that God gave me a second chance. And I'm here to declare to you I've surrendered my life to him. And the gospel is so beautifully demonstrated through that. So is this second chance for Michael? Is it for Michael? Yes, it's for Michael. But it's for me. It touched my heart right there. It encouraged me. I was so thankful. Like, Lord, thank you for the the beauty of the gospel demonstrated to us as a church. Second chances are not about us. When God gives us a second chance, it is not about us. Our obedience to God's call on our life is about us letting the gospel shine through our life. Think about the people that are impacted for the glory of God when we are given our second chance and we obey the Lord. Think about the impact of obedience. Think about our spouse. I know there's some of you here today. You are restored in your marriage because God gave you a second chance. And now the life of your spouse has changed forever. 
your heritage is changed forever. Our children are impacted when God gives us second chances. And when we, when we obey, it's not about us. It's about our spouses. It's about our children, our extended family. Think about families that are changed when the glory of the gospel is demonstrated through the second chances that God gives us. Think about our coworkers, our neighbors, and today our church family. We were impacted today. Our schools. Everyone that we're around. That's why we get second chances. It's so that God will be glorified. Who does God want you to impact with the gospel? Who in your life? In your heart? I think you need to start telling your story. You need to start telling your story. You were at the bottom. You remembered the Lord. He restored. He redeemed. Tell your story. God wants to get the glory. As we continue to live this life, we will continue, continually need second chances. But we must always remember that those second chances are new opportunities to glorify God with our life. I want to end with this quote. This is by author, counselor, Ken Sandy. He's speaking about God being glorified through our life. Listen to this. What are you really living for? It's crucial to realize that you either glorify God or you glorify something or someone else. You're always making something look big. We're always making something look big. What are we going to make look big here today? We're going to make a God. We're going to make God look big through our life. A God that redeems, a God that restores, a God that saves, a God that gives second chances. Amen? Amen. Stand your feet with me.